0: Each episode should connect you with someone else's story, but also leave you with practical tips and advice that you can use in your own life and in your own business.
1: Today, we're speaking with Monica Spiteri, a somatic psychotherapist and an award-winning entrepreneur. Monica is the founder of Envico Health, a social enterprise that will assist those living with mental health conditions to regain wellness, retain employment, and be supported in their personal recovery.
0: In this episode, we discuss how Monica started her private practice in somatic psychotherapy, founded Inveco Health, and launched her podcast, Transcending Trauma. We hope you enjoy this episode, and if you do, please go ahead and head over to wherever you listen to podcasts, Spotify or iTunes, and give us a rating. Hey, Monica, how are you?
2: I'm good, thank you for having me. And where are you calling in from today for all of our listeners? calling in from Melbourne in Australia.
0: Beautiful. Beautiful. (laughs) And you have uh, a lot of stuff going on. Yeah. (laughs) If I do say so myself. (laughs) So I just want to, can you tell us all like what shaped you and how you became the woman that you are today?
2: Wow. So what shaped me? I I think as I sort of, you know, I'm, I'm 50 this year. So as I sort of look at my life and reflect back, I suppose I've been shaped by my experiences in life, you know, the good and the bad. Um, so yeah, what, what shaped me and sort of got me into doing what I do, I suppose was actually through, um, losing my father to suicide. Yeah, And that was 20 years ago, uh, last year. Yeah. And that was probably the catalyst that really sort of was the pivot point for me in in my life from you know sort of working in you know marketing and and print and design to really sort of going on a journey of deep discovery for myself
0: yeah
2: and really then looking at all the why questions, why did it happen, how could it be avoided, and yeah. sort of going down that rabbit hole and then then recognising that there's, there's nothing that I could do about it. Yeah. Uh, and then I just sort of started looking at other alternative models of care, let's just say um, things that they were doing in Europe and America, and that was sort of... Through my own healing journey, then I got my qualifications in somatic psychotherapy and now somatic experiencing. And I've always been passionate about the mind, the body, and the soul. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so it was a good fit for me to be looking at sort of the more non traditional ways of helping people with mental health issues to recover.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Can, can you explain what somatic psychotherapy is?
2: So somatic psychotherapy really works with the connection between the mind and the body. So your traditional, you know, your counseling, your psychology, and your psychiatry really focuses a lot on the mind and more in the the narration and the and the stories and very it's very cognitively based. Yeah. With somatic psychotherapy, somatic that comes from the Greek word soma, meaning body of life. And so it really takes in the importance of the body and its experiences. And when we work with trauma, um, say with the Somatic Experiencing Trauma Institute, who I'm a teaching assistant with here in Australia, Mm -hmm. um, and Somatic Experiencing was founded by Dr. Peter Levine, we really look at the incomplete fight flight and freeze responses that get trapped in the body. So if a person needed to fight but they couldn't, if they needed to flee but they couldn't. Mm-hmm. And so what happens, these experiences can be bound up in the energy in the body, muscular tension, mm-hmm. contraction, um, lots of anxiety, depression. So these things that we look at as mental health issues are really things that are affected by the nervous system. Yeah. Um, so when we look at the body, we can... See those slight preparatory movements. There could be um, things that needed to be expressed that couldn't be expressed. So, we really take in the uniqueness of the individual. It's not just a cookie cutter approach um, or a one size fits all model. It's really about the uniqueness of the individual, the safety and the containment of the therapeutic relationship, and really slowing things down so people can sit with a level of discomfort in their body, but be able to process those emotions. So allowing people to have the full range of emotions mm-hmm. um, in a therapy session. So, yeah, it's quite unique.
1: So, yeah. you, oh, sorry. <laughs> I was going to say, so, so, so what does it look like if I were to come for a session with you? Like how... How does that work? Like, do I lay down? Are we doing sort of gentle exercises while talking? Or can you explain a little bit about that? Yeah, lots
2: of, yeah, exactly. Um, A lot of that. So um, I've trained in other modalities, um, one of them being somatic practice, which was developed by a lovely lady called Kathy Kane. And that has taken quite an, a lot of elements it's looked at body work it's looked at the trauma model and that is a form of hands-on work so a person is sort of laying down on a table but sometimes i can actually place my hands on a person when they're sitting say in a tub chair it's, it's about how they want to work and consenting to actually having touch so that could be me just holding their arms it could be me working on their shoulders and we're working and feeling through my hands you sort of sense it as a practitioner what the muscles are trying to do underneath the structure. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes people are getting up and they're moving, they're pushing sometimes. Um we're, you know, we're working with boundary work. Sometimes that's working with um, a rope on the ground and, and a person standing inside that and we're, we're looking at what, what a boundary looks like for the first time and yeah. how does it feel to have people moving in and out of that boundary. Mm. So it's quite a dynamic therapy. It's not just sitting down and just talking constantly because mm. trauma is not dealt with with the cognitive part of the brain. It's a different part of the brain. Mm. And so the sessions can be quite dynamic and again. It's all geared on what the person wants to do. Everything is always at their pace Mm -hmm. Um, and they... You know, I sort of see it sometimes. I don't even probably see myself as a therapist. It's more of an educator. I really like to give my clients tools, you know, worksheets, things to do because it becomes a practice. It's not just about what happens in that hour in a therapy session. Mm. It's about what their takeaways are from that therapy session, empowering them to make choices and move forward with their life and be able to do the work outside of the therapy sessions. Mm. So if a panic attack comes on or if they have, you know, bouts of anxiety, that they They know how to move through those states Um, and, you know, I sometimes sort of describe it as it's like going to the gym and building muscle. You know, you're not going to go to the gym for the very first time and start lifting 50 kilo weights. You're going to start off with small light weights and build up to that. And so in a similar way we're building tone and we're building um the the bodily con- the, you know the bodily container or the vessel to be able to handle those emotions, and we're building up in small incremental pieces, wow. doing a little bit of work, feeling what that feels like to the body, then do a little bit more work. so we're always working at the fringes.
1: That's so interesting i I didn't even know about this as a as a way to heal huh. like right. always just, I've always just thought of mental health as just being you know mental. And like in your yeah. mind, so it's this is um, this is so interesting to me. Do you could you talk a little bit
0: more about trauma? Like, what mm-hmm. is trauma? Do you think everyone has trauma? How does it like? What does it do in the brain and in the body mm-hmm. um, that would lead to the need for this type of therapy?
2: Yeah. So, if I could quote Dr. Peter Levine, he would say, "Trauma is not in the event. Mm-hmm. Trauma is your response." to the event hmm. yeah so that's why when we look at people that are presenting with ptsd and like symptoms you know they are no longer in the traumatic event yet their body is responding as if it was you know we look yeah. at that when we work with veterans you know they've, they've left the war zone but they're back at home in australia yet their body feels it's still in a war zone mm-hmm. um trauma can be a range of um you know it's, it's a pretty big spectrum. So we can have early developmental trauma. So things that have happened in the pre and perinatal birth stages, we have, you can have um, early developmental trauma through neglect. And then sometimes there can be just that misattunement with parents where parent, you might be raised by a single mum who's had to, to work and raise a number of children. And so needs sort of always don't get met. And then that can create disruptions disruptions in um, attachment styles and things like that, and mm-hmm. then we've got the big T traumas. You know, your war, rape, terror, and abuse. So, yeah. trauma can be however you experience those life events for yourself. Kids mm-hmm. having invasive childhood procedures. You know, if you're a sickly child and had to have operations, anything that penetrates the skin of the body can be seen as a trauma to the body. You know, mm-hmm. there'll always be something where that that wound was. Um, And so even though the mind may not have memory of it, the body definitely remembers it. And there's a really good book by Dr. Bessel van der Kolk called The Body Keeps the Score. So even though you're you're knocked out in uh, anesthesia states, your body remembers, you can hear everything that's going on. Mm. And so Mm. if you have an accumulation of these events throughout your life and then leave them unchecked, say when you hit your 30s, your 40s, your 50s and possibly older, then those things can present in the body in different ways. They show up as your autoimmune disorders, your heart disease, obesity, things like that, Um, back pain, chronic pain. People are living with chronic pain. And these are just ways that the body is giving a signal to you somatically that something is not right. Or people come along and they just go, I just feel stuck and I don't know where it comes from. Mm When I hear that, I usually think, and you know, after going sort of through the processes with people, that it could be very early developmental. So it's, you know, prior to two years of age and it's in that pre-verbal um, phase huh. of their life. Yeah. And so that's where the, the, the touch work comes in really well because it's my hands on their body and then their body just sort of renegotiates what needs to happen. And sometimes it's just building that trust in that therapeutic relationship that these people you know that it's the first time that they've had that it's the first time that they've been really seen they've been really validated and they matter and that can really have a profound effect yeah. on the nervous system because at the end of the day you know we're mammals you know we're wired for attachment and mm-hmm. We're wired very well to detect threat very quickly. Yeah. So yeah. we're amazing beings when we start looking at the body and what we can do and our capacity to heal ourselves.
1: I was having this conversation at the weekend actually about how there's a huge misconception that trauma because the word mm. trauma is just associated mm. with the big Ts as, as you described, but actually. Right. It, exactly. It can be anything. Exactly. Like you mm-hmm. can have trauma and it's not something like Yeah. Like a rape or something as yeah. atrocious as that, mm. but it can still be something that manifests as a long lasting traumatic experience as a child that you never deal with or yeah. realize that that it, that it is that. Or even I actually, exactly. when
0: I started going to therapy here in Australia, um, I my therapist helped me realize that an, a, an emotionally abusive relationship I'd been in when I was younger. trauma. Yeah. was mm-hmm. like a continual form of trauma for several years of my life i was in survival mode yeah trying to survive Absolutely. like mm-hmm. this like manipulation from this person and yeah. and that left an imprint a scar on me mm-hmm. you know that i had to work yeah. through and deal with and i think that people like you said like they think oh well nothing massively big has ever happened to me yeah. so therefore i don't mm-hmm. have trauma to deal with and yeah. it's it's not true mm. yeah. you know it could be something that you know, you think other people might write off, but mm. it still has left.
2: Yeah. An effect. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah and I've, I've had that actually happen in, in um, you know, with some of my clients and people that I've worked with. It's like, oh, nothing major happens. And then when they sort of start going back through, they go, oh, I had this or, oh, I had that operation or oh, I had, you know. Had a car accident, fell yeah. off this, blah, blah, blah. And then they sort of <laughs> yeah. start listing. It's like, oh, wow, yeah, my body's been through a lot. Now I'm sitting here at the <laughs> yeah. age of 40 or 50. So yeah. it's those little things that can build up in the system. But yeah, definitely uh, relationships and. You know, when you think about it, your first experience in life is that first family system. It's that that family unit mm-hmm. and how you adapt into that environment and then maybe your first boyfriend or that major first love and that relationship and then what happened there. Mm. And that just becomes a bit of a cascading effect. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and with those big T traumas, You know, that's why you could have a group of people go through exactly the same experience, whether it's a natural disaster or a terrorist attack or anything like that. And different people have different experiences to it. Not everyone will develop a PTSD um, like syndrome. Um, Some people will be able to have more resilience and move through it. So because we're all unique and we all have unique experiences early in life that shape our nervous system.
1: So you are in Melbourne, which famously had Mm. one of the world's longest and toughest lockdowns in the pandemic. Yes. How do you think that affected people? You've just mentioned about like natural disasters. I believe the pandemic is one of those things. Have Mm. you had um, anyone come to you with any lasting trauma from being in lockdown? And what can people do about that for themselves? Because I know there's many people in the US and the UK and around the world that are still in this situation that I think mm. would
2: bit. Yeah, I think it's, um, yeah, it was a very long lockdown. And I think what happens is when we can't focus on an end point, you know, when is this going to be over? That I feel creates a response in the nervous system for people. And yeah, without going to too much detail about my clients, yeah, I think last year was a really heavy year for everyone, on a society level. And you know, the wearing of the masks and doing all that, what we're doing there is cutting off the social engagement system. So everybody's walking around in society in their reptilian brains. You know, you're only just seeing the eyes. Mm. So another part of the work when I work with somatic psychotherapy and the somatic experiencing model, a lot of our work is underpinned by the polyvagal theory, you yeah, know, which was um, written by Dr. Stephen Porges and that works with the autonomic nervous system and in particular the 10th cranial nerve that goes from the top of the head all the way down to the stomach. Okay. And the cranial nerves end in the, in the face. And so when we're babies and we're forming our nervous systems very early on, mm. that social engagement system is what's being built and it all comes down down to the facial expressions the you know, the cooing and the ah and the smiling. And so when we have a society that's walking around with just eyes, that creates a bit of a threat response in the system because I can't read your face. I don't know if you're friendly, if you're angry at me because yeah. you're only seeing the eye movements. And so I think over a prolonged period of time, that does build up in the nervous system and so, yeah, well, that then can present with people there. if they had a little bit of anxiety, their anxiety may then go through the roof. Yeah. Um, you then have those situations in society where people are legally and lawfully exempt if they do have a trauma history. And there's a whole list of exemptions that were on the Department of Health's website. But people in society just see somebody not wearing a mask and then they just assume, oh, yeah. you're doing the wrong thing. And there have been people that have been attacked. But... You think about that person who has a major significant trauma history, Mm -hmm. then a person in the community is just coming up and attacking them and then verbally abusing them because they are not doing what the social norm is without stopping to actually think, wow, that must be really difficult for that person to be now the odd one out yeah. Who's not wearing a mask when everybody else is doing it. And so or they've just got that
1: selfish viewpoint of like, well, I have to wear a mask, so everyone should be wearing a mask because they don't have that perspective about that there's
2: Yeah, former. they don't have that perspective to actually stop and think what mm. must be going on for that person. Whether whether a person's doing it for the right reasons or not, that's irrelevant. It's just that it what you see then in society is there's this heightened sense of activation. And that's what happens. People then just come from their fight-flight part of their brain without actually thinking and pausing and reflecting and going, wow, what must be going on for that person? Or how about I just stay in my own lane and mind my own business and they're doing what they do? Yeah. But, so it did create a, a bit of um, tension. Yeah. Let's say, and I think it's been very, it's been a very long time to be in lockdown. And I think now that people are starting to move and get back out into society and do things, and things have opened back up again, um, that, yeah, that, that that sort of lessened. But yeah, 2020 was definitely a very tough year for people in Melbourne, and it was a very long lockdown. And mm. what that does, it feels like it's an inescapable attack. Yeah. So, there you know, people that have had that in their trauma history as well would have been feeling that. Yeah. yeah? And even people that have been through war zones and, and things where their control has been taken away from them, that could also sort of re-trigger some of those responses. So, yeah, it's it's been a tough time for everyone.
0: Yeah. And, well, I mean, the States is still obviously on lockdown and people are still going through an incredible hell there, you know, right now mm-hmm. as this is being recorded in February of 2021. Um, I want to talk about something else that's in the news and just talk about how it relates to um, what you do just because I see your type of therapy is something that could particularly be helpful. Um, Mm -hmm. Do you know who Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is?
2: Heard the name. I don't actually watch (laughs) the news, so you'll have to... uh... it's okay. It's
0: okay. It's okay. She's a U.S. representative. She's from New York, and she is a young woman senator, and she's, um, you know, a personal hero of mine, particularly just because of the things that she fights for and speaks out for. Um, But Mm -hmm. five days ago, she made history by going on her... um, you know, going on her social media and talking about surviving sexual assault. Mm -hmm. And it's still a massive, massive problem in the U.S. There are some statistics Mm -hmm. that came out from the CDC that say that still one in every five women in the U.S. have experienced a completed or attempted rape in her lifetime. Oh, my gosh. Mm -hmm. One of every five. That is 20%, guys. (laughs) Like, thats Mm -hmm. it's just... Mm -hmm insane so I mean and the thing about this um you know and also one in every 38 men so you know with this type of trauma you know which is one of the big big ones yeah it happens so often in so many places and it's so violating on so many levels do you see a lot of these types of um patients coming to you or you know what do you see
2: Yeah, I suppose when I work with trauma, I work with the most of the spectrum, whether it's early developmental, the big T traumas. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. Um, And I think, you know, as you're seeing it, you know, across the different generations, like, you know, when I was young, it it was, I was still in that era of where it wasn't spoken about, you know, I I went to Catholic school and things like that. So it's... um, I think what's happening, and because we're now in an era of social media and things like that, information gets out there a lot quicker. Right, And I think because we've had the Me Too movement and things like that, that social media and these big platforms, you can get your messages out there very quickly and on a large scale. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think that is also what we're seeing. I don't think it's like we're, we're seeing more of an increase. I think it's it's been happening for generations and generations and generations. It's yeah. just now that people are actually feeling safer and have better platforms to be able to get the message out. And there has been some big... Um, changes, like, you know, with Australia, we've had the Royal Commission into uh, institutional abuse, Mm -hmm. Yeah, so, and, and, you know, that, you know, that could be tracked back, it's taken generations for that to come out, but, you know, that could probably be put down to the work that happened with investigative journalists uncovering that, you know, decades ago. Mm -hmm. And because we have these big institutions and these big systems, sometimes it takes a long time for things to change. Yeah. You know, is it, is it going to make it go away? We can't say, you know, child trafficking, things like that. they are major, major issues. Um, you know, the things that I do hear on the news, like you know the the young girls that were that were held captive um, here in Australia, in Queensland, you know, um for people to say, "Oh, I didn't think that happened in Australia. It's happening. It's happening everywhere. yeah, you know. Um, pedophile rings, all that sort of thing. It, it's definitely happening everywhere, and we need prominent people to be speaking out. Mm-hmm. Uh, everybody needs to speak out, both yeah. men and women. And you know, yes, it does happen to to men, and it would be nice to see more men speaking out about it as well, because mm-hmm. then it doesn't. Uh, that would break down that gender divide, I think, as well. That yeah, it's totally. just a female issue. It's not. It's you know, it happens on both sides.
1: Yeah. With, um, I'd love to kind of this is moving slightly on a little bit and probably a controversial question but what are your mm-hmm. feelings towards medication for mental health issues versus doing something like somatic psychotherapy or or do they work hand in hand
2: look yeah they can work hand in hand um I'm more probably from that naturalistic approach of trying things, you know, we're not talking and what I'm talking about here is not acutely unwell people. So I see that there can be if somebody has an acute episode, somebody has a psychotic breakdown, you know, we're at that that far acutely unwell spectrum, Mm -hmm. then yes, medication can possibly help to stabilize that person. Mm -hmm. But I'm from the belief and the philosophy of looking at things from a natural perspective in regards to if we can regulate our nervous systems, if we can work on the root cause of what is causing that disruption, Mm -hmm. then the body can heal itself. If you give it the right conditions, it's the same as if you were to break your arm. Yeah, you break your arm, you go to the hospital. The doctor doesn't heal you. He puts your arm resets your arm resets the bone puts it in conditions where it remains safe and contained wraps it in plaster so that the, so the bones are held mm-hmm. and then the body goes about repairing it and that bone usually grows back stronger um and so I think that when it comes to medication, it definitely has to be um, an individual approach. But, yeah, I, I lean more to the holistic approach to mental health of looking at all the factors and not just going to your GP and getting a script because a lot of people just want the quick fix. Yeah. yeah? And we see that with a lot of prescription medication. We can look that with, you know, why in America you have such an opioid uh, addiction you know, so there's no, the, when people want a quick fix, they just, they don't want to be in pain anymore and they will take the script. But if you're not doing the psychotherapeutic work to look at what is the underlying issues, just taking a script and then taking another script and, you know, and then that that then cascades because a lot of these medications have major adverse side effects. You know, if you mm-hmm. read the, the the pamphlet and have a look at those side effects, prolonged use will then start affecting kidney issues or, mm-hmm. you know, weight gain, all those types of things. And then you're taking a medication to try and counter that one. And it can just be a little bit of a slippery slope. So yeah. um, medication I think is, is good for people that are extremely acutely unwell. Mm-hmm. But for that sort of subacute, the general public, I think that if you find yourself a really good therapist to work with and Work, you know, and when I talk about holistic, I'm not talking about new age therapies, I'm talking about the whole of the person mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. looking at their diet looking at their sleep patterns looking at their relationships what are their early experiences in life what are their peer groups like what's their mm. job like so many people are going to work miserable because they're in a job that they hate yeah mm. yet they've got mortgages they've got kids they've got to do these things so right. that builds up in the system like it's inescapable
1: yeah that pressure I can't and escape this yeah
2: yeah exactly so they're they're on the hamster wheel and they they can't get off because their life is formed around that they've got big mortgages and kids are in private school or kids are trying to get to school. You know, I think, you know, the the, the problems in life are not, um, you know, they're all similar in some ways when we look at the root cause of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So
0: let's talk about your business for a little bit. So you've built the Somatics Energy um, practice. And then you also have a podcast and you also have Mm -hmm. (laughs) Inveco Health. So tell me how all of this came together. So I'm guessing you started with your practice first?
2: Yeah, well, Vico Health, you know, I originally started that in New South Wales in Sydney and we were trying to um, secure some old hospital wards up there in a beautiful site called Cullen Park and it happened many years ago. Uh, and, you know, like all things with government, they're very slow to respond. So I moved the practice probably about or oh, moved the project about six or seven years ago uh, down to Victoria. Mm-hmm. Uh, Victoria seems to be quite progressive when it comes to social enterprises and things like that. Gotcha. So it was to do with, you know, a lot of networking and things like that. You know, I've worked in the mental health sector for many, many years. I've worked in program um, design and development and then it was just getting to the point where I just thought to be able to really give the project my focus as much as I could, I really had to peel back from working a lot in the sector and uh, working five days a week and just doing that um, is just, yeah, you just don't have enough time. So I work in private practice three days a week. Mm-hmm. Uh, And then, yeah, my Mondays and my Fridays are, you know, free to do things like this, do my own podcast, Transcending Trauma. And then, yeah, working on Envico Health. And what we're doing at the moment, we're right in the midst of finalising our business case. Mm -hmm. Uh, We're hoping to get that presented to government uh, by the end of February. So down here in Melbourne, we're waiting on the final report, which is another Royal Commission, uh, the final report to be presented released for the Royal Commission into mental health services. And what Invico Health is aiming to do is to develop a residential trauma and wellbeing centre where people can actually come and reside for up to 12 months. And it will be in a beautiful natural setting. Uh, We'll have a wellness centre uh, we will also have, you know, a whole food cafe. Um, there'll be transitional housing support. So people will be able to come into the therapeutic community model and yeah. then be transitioned out into independent living and then back out into the community. So it will be a micro community within the community yeah. with work and training uh, opportunities and a host of practitioners, so somatic experiencing practitioners alongside psychologists that are trained in the trauma-informed models. Um yeah, body workers. There'll also be a gym, a yoga studio, and things like that. So it will be a place where people can really immerse themselves in the recovery journey and and be able to work on those issues that are the causing the most distress. So it will be yeah. open to people like first responders or people that have experienced trauma, or you know, an alternative. What we're finding is we're bridging that gap of an alternative of of just community care or what's the other option? People don't want to go to a psych hospital. No. Yeah, and so and it's about a, filling that gap in the middle.
1: Yeah, and I think being in a non-clinical environment, like it sounds like it's just this like beautiful village in mm. in, in nature mm. and, and you have a community around you. That is That surely is part of the healing process then, is that you're, you don't Absolutely. feel like that you're in a hospital setting.
2: Exactly. And the, you know... It's the Nigerian proverb: "Takes a village to raise a child." Well, at the core of Envico Health is the philosophy as well that to be remain in community. So people that go through mental health issues or people that are really struggling, they feel like they are no longer a part of community. Mm. So if we can have them in a therapeutic community model at the heart of the community and have the community surround those people, not judge them for what they are going through, but let's just say that the community then becomes involved. If you're a build, you know, a retired builder, or if you're a beautiful, you know, you're an artist that does art programs or you're a basket weaver, whatever you want to do, you can come into. To the model you can come into the center and you might run a course for the day it's about then showing your support from the greater community on helping these people that are going through a tough time so it's not separate from the community it's a part of the community yeah. people are integrated and while they're going through their healing journey part of the therapeutic community model is is that they're actually running the center as well yeah. so they you know if they're working in the gardens or if they're working in the cafe they are they're going through the recovery process process but they're also getting training and job opportunities and skills that they can take with them after that so it's a real um it is a holistic model and it's integrated in transition through those steps that people need to take so when they do go and rejoin the community they're already linked in with services that they will be able to continue that that recovery journey yeah and if they need to come back they can always come back
1: the other amazing thing i think about this is you, you have a section on your website which talks about preventing homelessness and how this mm. kind of community and, and living in this kind of um, therapeutic community can actually help to to help these people with mental health issues who've been who've been living in homeless hostels or even on the streets have, is, mm. is that is homelessness? mainly from like mental health issues is is that yes that's kind of
0: a loaded question because it depends on the society as well (laughs) (laughs)
1: but is that that something that you see did you design this concept with people who are homeless in mind
2: Probably not homeless in mind, but, home. Work, you know, working in the sector, it's definitely a major contributing factor. People become transient, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, what happens when a person, say you're in private rental, for example, and you have about, you know, let's just say you don't have a good family support network and then you become unwell and then you go to a psych hospital,
0: mm-hmm.
2: who's there to pay your rent?
0: Mm,
2: right. You know, what happens to your home? And unfortunately, they will say that it doesn't happen, but it still happens. And this is one reason why we've had the Royal Commission down here in Melbourne. People are discharged into homelessness. Mm, Right. It's not supposed to happen, but it does. Uh, And then people leave hospital and they've got nowhere to go. And so what happens is it's like it becomes a bit of a revolving door Mm. or it becomes a bit of a circuit, you know. And, you know, I've seen this. You know, when I've worked in the sector, you know, people go through the systems. The first system, apart from the family system that fails a person, is the education system. Yeah. yeah. And I've seen that through working with recently released offenders, you know, in my previous job. People will go through and then all of a sudden something happens. You know, home environment's not very good. So then they start acting out in, you know, in school, they hit high school, next minute they're suspended. Yeah. So then they're hanging around with kids that are a little bit wayward, they get into a little bit of petty crime, and then then the cycle happens and then maybe they get into a little bit of drugs, whatever, and then it then it sort of escalates. Um, and then there's people that are homeless that just choose to be homeless. Yeah, you know, there are people out there that that don't want to to be tied down, and that it has been a choice. So it is a bit of a loaded question because I think again we have to take in the uniqueness of the individual. But if we can have the support services in place where people can transition, they can work on what has contributed to your life, what has contributed to you becoming homeless. Mm-hmm. Um, and then working in a therapeutic community model can help them to feel a part of community in a smaller, more manageable setting. Yeah. And sometimes society can just be too big for people, mm. you know, and so if we can help them be supported, work on the issues, give them Skills that they can take away with them, then they can move out of the therapeutic community model into some independent living and independent housing that may be with just one or two other people. And then they transition out. Then we link them into other housing support services and things like that to find the more permanent housing and accommodation. That's why the program can take up to 12 months, Mm -hmm. you know, because it is a process and a stepping through. So, what we would call a stepped model of care.
1: Yeah. Hmm. And then, is that a not for profit organization?
2: Yeah, so we are going to be setting up as a social enterprise, so we do want to be self-sustaining in the long run. Mm -hmm. Um, We are a health promotion charity, though, so people can make donations and get the tax deduction because we're a deductible gift recipient. So we're registered as a health promotion charity um, and... Yeah, and so that way we can take grants and philanthropy and things like that and people can write that off on tax. So, But, yeah, the long-term plan for the business model will be that it will be a social enterprise because they will be able to, you know, if you want to come and support the centre and have lunch there, yeah. You know know that knowing that your lunch is one helping a person that may be working in the cafe, and then two that your money is going back into the social enterprise mm-hmm. to help build the program and to fund the program, or if you want to hold a business meeting there, or hold a training or a conference and things like that, because the center will have you know a range of different facilities on site for the community to use. So it shows that you're making a conscious choice of where you're placing your money and what type of programs you're supporting. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. So tell us about the podcast. Mm.
1: Yeah.
0: (laughs) We're clearly a fan of
2: podcasts here.
1: When did you start it? Who's it for? Yeah, everything.
2: (laughs) Yeah, transcending trauma. Well, yeah, what I love about podcasting, it, it allows me to have that creative outlet. You know, when you're doing businesses, you know, when you're an entrepreneur, it's a bit of a lonely journey. You know, I actually do, you know, do that in in my therapy as well I work with with young entrepreneurs and things like that because it can be quite isolating so for me the podcast is great because one I get to talk about the topic that I love which is trauma and I get to listen to stories from real people that have been through adversity, that have overcome it and have gone through on the other side. So, yeah. I, you know, and I had the, the, the pleasure of being invited to interview Dr. Cathy Kesselman, who's mm-hmm. the president of Blue Knot Foundation, um, which is Australia's centre of, of excellence for, you know, early developmental trauma and uh, childhood trauma and complex PTSD. So I get to talk to industry professionals as well as, you know, um, everyday people. So I probably started at what? Just over six months ago. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I'm I'm loving it, and I get to talk to people from all around the world. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, I get to do exciting things like this because people pick up my podcast, just like you have, and then yeah. you approach me. So it's it's a bit of a win-win. Um, yeah, and I just love it. Um, it's it's another offering that I have. You know, some a lot of my clients listen to my podcast. Wow. Or it's just a way of people hearing information that it may be their first step on the ladder of actually reaching out for some support. And so if my podcasts can help people to hear from real stories of people that have just gone through terrible things and then turned it into a positive, that it may give them some hope and some motivation to to transcend their own traumas.
1: Yeah. You're such an inspiring and and driven and amazing woman to talk to you. How do you take time for you and... Yeah, how do you, you look up? after
0: your own yeah. mental health after looking <laughs> after everyone else's?
1: <laughs> yeah.
2: That's Friday. Um, yeah, that's, that's the reason why I really made a conscious choice to go with uh, three days in private practice. So I work yeah. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursdays with clients. Um, I leave half an hour in between my clients. So I only see between five and six clients a day. And Fridays are my sort of self-care day. You know, I have an hour and a half massage on a Friday. And I've got a team, you know... I have a team of people around me that support me. I've got a really good holistic GP. Mm-hmm. I've got an amazing body worker. I've got an osteopath. I have a kinesiologist. Yeah. Uh, I've got a really good naturopath. So I have, you know, spent my time building up and and finding the best practitioners for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I also have my own therapist yeah. that I see, you know, fortnightly and monthly. I have a supervisor. So as a practitioner working in the trauma field, yeah, it is really important that, yeah, we look after our own needs and I've got a really good extended friends network and, mm-hmm. you know, supportive partner and, yeah, really good peers as well that um, that are all around the world, which is fantastic. Yeah. Uh, so I can sort of tap into them. But, yeah, walking, exercising, um, sitting in stillness, slowing down, yeah. switching off devices, not looking at the news and, you know, You know, one thing that I did after watching The Social Dilemma, it's all stuff that we sort of know cognitively, but, you know, making a conscious choice to take off apps off my phone,
0: Mm.
2: you know, not having the alerts that ping at you all the time uh, that pull your distraction away. Um, Yeah, lots of different things that I use in regards to self-care because, yeah, it is important. And um, I've had to learn that over the years, yeah, of just balancing it and going this is just you know there's too much stress load on me, so just having to redesign my life around the goals that I want to do um. Women support groups, you know, getting around other entrepreneurs, so you don't feel like that you're alone. You know, there's some really amazing women out there, really kicking goals, and I just sort of surround myself with those people that are doing similar things because, you know, I have a range of mentors that I can sort of pick the phone up and then just by having a quick chat, they just give you a different perspective. Yeah, yeah, and it's like, oh yeah, I didn't, I didn't look at it that way, or just sort of. Gives you a little bit of a, you know, stokes the fire a little bit in in your belly, yeah. and then you've got energy again to keep going. So having a good support yeah, network is very do.
1: important for um, any business owner. I completely agree. You need to, you mm. need to have people in your corner, and I think that's really good advice. Sometimes just a phone call with a friend can really help change your outlook on on things. Um,
2: yeah, totally. because we can get really bogged down. Mm. And you just, you, your focus narrows in on what your target is and what you're wanting to be doing. And, and sometimes, you know, I've, I've had to do that when I'm writing pieces and I have to then walk away from it, maybe even leave it for a day and then come back and read it and then rejig it because you're looking at things with fresh eyes and um, that's why... You know, mental, there's mental health issues with, with startups and, and founders and things like that because it, it it's a long journey, mm-hmm. you know. And, and the project that I'm doing with Vico Health is we're talking about major sy- systematic systemic change here. Yeah. We're, we're talking about changing a service sector that is very ingrained in talk therapies and things like that that... Mm-hmm um it, it they can be very slow to move and shift it's like trying to physically push the titanic around it's yeah. just <laughs> it's a it's a big ship to move you know and so that's why it's really good when the government has these royal commissions and they actually hear from the consumer voice you know yeah. i'm a person also who has lived experience of mm. trauma and i've been through it and now I'm on the other side and I'm helping others. So it's it's about turning those adversities into something positive and then me driving change in a service sector that I feel really needs to change. And, you know, we've got to give credit to the lived experience and then the consumer voice because it's so important. You know, just like what you were talking about before when, uh, you know, people are talking about. You know, sexual abuse and what they've been through—that—that's mm-hmm. the consu- that's the peer-led movement. Yeah, yeah. You know, and you, it can go across a made you know a range of sectors, whether it's the alcohol and other drug sectors. You know, talking about people that have been through recovery. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the, the lived experience is a strong voice because no academic can 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 go against that. Your yeah. your lived experience is your experience. Yeah, mm-hmm. and you're the expert of your story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you're the expert. I, I often say that to my clients. Yeah. You are the expert here. Right. You know, I, I can just support you and guide you, but your experience is your experience and it has got to be validated. Mm. Mm. It's got to be acknowledged. Wow. I can just support and guide you and help you to heal and 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 witness you in that pain that was terrible. And there's the other side of you that you are sitting here now. You are resilient mm. and you got through it. Yeah, You've recovered. You've survived. And then how do we help people then to thrive? So moving from that survival physiology into thriving and having a contributing life and doing all the things that they want to do. do
1: That's you what I do
2: with, as a therapist.
1: Do you work with clients who are based outside of Melbourne or do you just have in-person sessions?
2: Yeah, so I do. So... Um, th- I think that's probably a positive that's come about with the whole COVID thing as people learning to actually do therapy on Zoom. So, yeah. yeah, I'm about to launch. This week I'll have a fresh new website up for Somatic Synergy, so I'll be having online programs and... Um, and then I'll also be doing uh, one-on-ones as well over Zoom. So, but most of my clients sort of like seeing me face to face. But yeah, I can work with people anywhere in the world, yeah. uh, thanks to technology. And yeah, and I do that over Zoom sessions.
1: That's awesome. So, if someone someone listening really has you know kind of taken in what you've been saying and wants to work with you, mm. how do they find you?
2: Through somatic. Synergy.com.au and yeah, I'm yeah, Somatic Synergies on Facebook and Vico Health, which is enveco.org.au. So yeah, so I'm Instagram, Facebook, and yeah, the good old websites.
1: Perfect. Well, it's been a real pleasure speaking to you. So enlightening and interesting. Um, so thank you very oh, much for coming you. on. The Female Founders Network. We, um, we've really enjoyed this conversation.
2: Yeah, no, thank you for having me on. Yeah, it's been, it's been a pleasure. Thank you.
0: Beautiful. Well, we're connecting with you on everything, so keep in touch. Yep.
2: Bye. Now. Yeah, definitely.
1: Wonderful. Thank you. Bye. 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 This podcast was brought to you by Invoice2Go. We're an invoicing and billing app that helps business owners work and get paid from anywhere at any location around the globe. And we're helping close the gender-based pay gap Because the current U.S. gender-based pay gap sits at around 19%, listeners of the Female Founders Network podcast will get exactly 19% off of any subscription. Just use the code EMPOWERWOMEN at checkout.